Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast, a special edition this week for the biggest sporting weekend of the year. It is Super Bowl Sunday, February 13th. I'm your host, Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. I'm sure a lot of you are settling in for the big game today, whether you're there to watch the game or to check out the commercials or the halftime show. We know a lot of people will actually be using it as an opportunity to gamble and get some entertainment value that way. And so we wanted to bring you uh, a couple of interesting segments uh, with correspondent Antonia Gonzalez. The first one has to do with that sports gambling. We know that that's an industry that is just flourishing right now as major sports uh, leagues embrace uh, online gambling or gambling on your phone. And the Navajo Nation is now getting in on the action there, about to launch a sports book online and through an app. And so Antonia caught up with some of the folks behind that to find out how it'll work and what what it might mean for the Navajo Nation to get into this realm. Uh, as you will hear right now, this is just in Arizona, but would largely be extended to other uh, states where the Navajo Nation resides, namely Utah, Colorado, New Mexico. But uh, this is all coming, and if you're whether you're against it or for it, good to know what it's all about. And so we thought no better time than now on Super Bowl Sunday. So without further ado, here is correspondent Antonia Gonzalez. Hello, I'm Antonia Gonzalez, and I'm here with some guests who have some gaming news to share with us. Uh, Brian, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Navajo Gaming. Thank you. Ms. Antonia, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure to be on your program. Uh, my name is Brian Parrish. I'm the uh, Interim Chief Executive Officer for the Navajo Nation Gaming Enterprise. Uh, I've been serving the Navajo people, the Dinah people, for about eight years now, uh, and been CEO for five years. So uh, really excited uh, about our partnership with Hard Rock. Uh, with their sportsbook and, and uh, Hard Rock Digital. Uh, they have an excellent team and outstanding product. Uh, their value systems and their goals and objectives align very nicely with ours. And so it was a perfect fit. Uh, so we're excited about what we're rolling out as a partnership. Um, you know, think that our, our uh, patron base is really gonna be excited about what we present. And John, uh, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work. Absolutely. I'm John Chapper. I'm the Senior Director of Communications for Hard Rock Digital. And Hard Rock Digital was formed in 2020 to be the exclusive Hard Rock International and Seminal Gaming Vehicle for Interactive Gaming and Sports Betting. As you know, Hard Rock's known all over the world for its famous cafes, casinos, hotels, and music memorabilia. And we're going to bring that legendary hospitality and entertainment online and bring it into the digital space through our sportsbook, iGaming platforms, and retail sportsbook locations. We're really excited to partner with Brian and Navajo Nation Gaming Enterprise to bring our sportsbook product to Arizona. You know, when you enter a new market, when you're launching a product, you want to go big. And I can't think of any other way to go big than to join the single largest uh, federally recognized uh, Native American organization out there. So we're so excited to partner with Brian to bring our best in class product to uh, Arizona. And um, we're, yeah, we're really excited. 
And Brian, this is only going to be available in Arizona. Can you share first what is the Hard Rock um, sports book and how is it going to be available to people in Arizona? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, the Navajo Nation, as John was saying, is uh, it's 27,000 square miles uh, and enrolled membership is over 401,000. And so the reservation lands span four states. Uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and Utah. And so to start with right now, uh, the uh, compact that we have with the state of Arizona provides for online gaming uh, for sports wagering, event wagering. The, uh, we have casinos in New Mexico, uh, but the current compact in New Mexico, which was signed in 2015, uh, that provides for all forms of class three gaming, but it has to be brick and mortar inside your casino. So they don't allow online gaming yet in New Mexico. Uh, we're hoping at some point uh, in the near future that will be permissible uh, under that compact. So right now we're rolling out the mobile application just on the Arizona side. So John, explain a little bit about how it works. What is it? And um, how is this technology you know, unique? Yeah. So. Uh, the Hard Rock Sportsbook app allows you to place bets on all the major sports. Uh, we're, we'll have great promotions, also live betting. So if you, uh, if you see your team's losing, you think you've got a big comeback in store, you can jump in there. Uh, but yeah, major sports, also some more niche sports, uh, like a high lie. We got soccer, you can do table tennis. And, uh, you know, it really just makes your game days a little more fun, a little more engaging. Um, and allows you really to uh, connect with the product on the screen. So we think this is a great offering for sports fans. Of course, sports betting has been legal in Arizona since September, but we think our product is really going to um, help push through the clutter. Uh, it's easy to use. It's intuitive. It's just a beautiful uh, user experience. Um, so we think that this product has a chance to really uh, capture a good bit of the market, especially uh, partnering with Brian and their great customer base they have there at the Navajo, Navajo Nation properties. And what's the connection with um, New Jersey and Iowa? So each, the way sports betting is regulated in the United States right now, each state um, has to uh, regulate it itself. So we currently have uh, existing products that are run by the, our casino partners in New Jersey and Iowa. And so this will be the third state where Heart Rock Sportsbook is active. I see. And so how can people find out about this, uh, Brian? When is, when is it going to start? Uh, very good question, and we're anxious to roll that out. It's going to be in the next couple of weeks, it looks like. Uh, we've got a hard deadline of February 23rd, so it'll definitely be before then. Uh, we're just going through some of the final uh, ticking and tying of all our administrative details and things, uh, but that's all uh, flowing and moving forward according to schedule. So uh, we'll be announcing a, a press release with uh, John and the Hard Rock Sportsbook team here very shortly. And that'll give a rollout date and, and all the other information. So uh, patrons out there, they're interested in sports betting and checking out the product. They'll have all the information they need to get immediate access. Yeah, and we encourage in the meantime, anyone to go on to hardrocksportsbook.com. Get a couple of screenshots up there. You can enter your email in to stay up to date. And also you can follow us on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter at Hard Rock Sportsbook as well as uh, major uh, other major social media platforms. And Brian, how do you see this as um, a way of, you know, 
it, we're still amid the pandemic and there are some restrictions, of course, for tribes. The Navajo Nation has been one of the strictest in the nation when it comes to some of the um, safety measures. So how is this entertainment venue, um, I guess, helping or, or helping people who have been stuck at home, you know, and not been able to maybe go to, go to a tribal casino? I appreciate you raising that issue. And, and again, Navajo has been uh, really hard hit uh, by the pandemic. Uh, I, I tell you, we're just uh, in awe of our relation, our, uh, our tribal leadership, because they continue to make decisions about uh, how, to, how to best deal with this pandemic, which are consistent with their value system. And that's protecting the Navajo people and all the people that support and serve the Navajo Nation. So all of us as employees, uh, our patrons that come onto our properties and things, protection of everyone has been absolutely priority number one for everyone. Uh, so we've had all kinds of uh, stay-at-home, work-at-home type of programs and things in place. We have a very comprehensive workplace safety plan with extensive protocols. We ask a lot of our, our team members and also our guests just to stay compliant with that. Uh, but we care tremendously about keeping everybody safe. Uh, our team member base is 88% um, is fully vaccinated. And I think Navajo Nation is at 79 or 80%. So the, the Navajo Nation is among the highest uh, rated uh, vaccination uh, levels in the entire U.S. as a community. And uh, we, I think we all know that uh, herd immunity in the U.S. is, is uh, contingent upon everybody getting vaccinated at least above the 75% level is what we're hearing from uh, the medical research folks that we talk to. So the sooner we get there, uh, the quicker we can all start relaxing a little bit on some of these restrictions. But right now we're staying very diligent about it. Uh, we're still operating at a 50% capacity. Uh, so people can still come in and enjoy all the amenities and things that we offer, uh, but we don't have everything fully opened up. Uh, so that's, that's a tough thing. Now, this, this uh, uh, joint partnership that we have with Hard Rock is great because it's a wonderful product and it's kind of starting to help everybody see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, people, it's gonna create more jobs, more revenue, the opportunity to cross market us with Hard Rock, which is one of the best things that we like about this. Uh, so it's not just this one mobile platform. Uh, all of us have tons of opportunities to figure out how to integrate culture, and other things that are very authentic about both tribes, both products, uh, our brands of our gaming companies and such uh, to provide unique values and, and an appeal to uh, the residents of Arizona and then also soon in New Mexico. So lots of upside, lots of different ways we can grow together. And uh, again, the value systems uh, and, uh, and objectives and sense of community that uh, we share with the Hard Rock team, Hard Rock International and Seminole of Florida, it, it all fits together. And so again, it's just a, a really easy partnership that, to fall into and make it work. And John, anything to add of the impact of the pandemic and then also just making this mobile app available? You know, I think that's one of the great things about this app is that it is mobile. You can do it at home. It's, uh, it's COVID safe. So, you know, certainly you can get on there um, you know, you can really interact with the game, you can engage with the game. And, um, you know, it's, it's just a great tool for sports fans to stay engaged uh, with their friends. And, um, you know, it's, it is COVID safe. So 
Um, I just want to reiterate everything Brian said about the uh, shared values and uh, what a great partner Navajo Nation has been. Uh, they've been great to work with. And, um, you know, when we enter Arizona, they obviously know the lay of the land, the territory, and they're a great resource for us and a great partner. Um, so Navajo Nation has some of the most beautiful places in the world in their territory. And we're excited that people are going to be able to enjoy our product uh, in those places. And finally, Brian, I know um, if we had a magic crystal ball, what's the state of uh, not only Navajo gaming look like, but Indian gaming as we're heading into this new year? You know, uh, we're very, very optimistic uh, about the future. And, uh, you know, I think that the country or everybody around the world, they're, they're ready to move forward and kind of re-engage socially. Uh, that's been something that's been very, very tough for everyone is the isolation uh, coming from this. And gaming uh, is, is a wonderful gathering place. You don't have to go in and, and gamble. You can enjoy all kinds of other activities and things like that. Um, and get together with people and reconnect. And that's really, really important for the, the ongoing recovery for everybody, not only medically and, and health-wise from the pandemic, but just, you know, your day-to-day -day outlook. Uh, our casinos are very much a, a social gathering place uh, for folks. You know, we're more rurally located. Uh, so it's a great place to go and see folks, have a meal, enjoy some entertainment. And, uh, you know, this, this mobile event wagering platform, you can raise your bed up and down. You've got all kinds of flexibility. It's just a lot of fun. And so you can enjoy it, whether you're casual or you're more serious about studying up on teams and making wagers and things that make the most sense for you. And John, anything to add or any last words? I think Brian said it all. We're just really, uh, we're just excited to officially start the countdown to uh, launching the app in Arizona. And we can't wait to uh, announce the launch date and get started. Well, John and Brian, thank you so much for sharing your gaming news. Thank you for having us, Antonio. All right, so we know the big matchup today, the Los Angeles Rams against the Cincinnati Bengals. We got animal mascot versus animal mascot. But of course, in sports in the United States, across the globe, we keep hearing lots and lots of talk about the use of uh, Native American names and imagery for team mascots. And, of course, very recently, the Washington uh, football team, as they've been called for the last couple years after removing one of those insensitive names, has rebranded itself the Washington Commanders. Uh, and so we're seeing some progress on this front in terms of getting rid of these culturally insensitive mascots and imagery and there's another example of that on the international front with the UK rugby team. And uh, correspondent Antonia Gonzalez helped us with this again, talking to some activists who are behind the push to get that change and how it may help start a ripple effect there. And so wanted to share this with you on the podcast as well. If you're interested in watching it, you can find it on our YouTube page. Just search for New Mexico and Focus. But here now, Antonia Gonzalez. So my name is Leandra Neffen. I'm a, an enrolled member of the Omaha tribe of Nebraska and Iowa. Um, I am a Thunder Clan woman and I belong to the Sky People. Um, but I'm currently living here in the United Kingdom, which uh, I've been living here now for the last 13 years. Um, and I founded 
a group of natives who are living and working and living over here in the United Kingdom. So we are involved with a campaign against um, eliminating native themed mascot branding and imagery, um, which was being used at the Exeter Chiefs Rugby Club. And uh, can you explain a little bit about what that rug rugby club is and how the logo is used? And now they're totally changing and rebranding, but they're keeping that their name. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, I so what happened basically, just to give a little bit of context, was a couple of years ago I was approached by the Exeter Chiefs for Change campaign. Uh, this was a campaign that was actually made up of fans of Exeter Chiefs. Um, so Exeter Chiefs Rugby Club is actually located in the south of England. Um, I live in the Midlands. So it was something that was a little bit on my radar in terms of the uh, mascot, the branding, the imagery and the logo. Um, but they approached me uh, and asked if I would uh, be a part of this campaign that they were running to eliminate the branding because they as fans were feeling uncomfortable with this. So um, I took it back to our group of UK uh, natives or natives who are living here in the UK and um, Tony Perry and Stephanie Land, they were a couple of people who joined us along with a, a few other members. We actually got support from a, a few uh, natives living in the United States as well. Um, and we started to kind of campaign through various media outlets um, and last year, I believe, believe it was that they made the decision to get rid of the mascot which was a, a the big chief mascot which was a kind of a character cartoon figure dressed in a war bonnet uh, doing the tomahawk chop and the fans would wear war bonnets these kind of fake brightly colored um, feather headdresses um, banging a drum doing the tomahawk chop chants um, and so it's all very stereotypical type imagery. So last year they decided, you know, okay, we'll get rid of the mascot, but we've consulted a few people and found that the rest of it is highly respectful and we're doing it to honor you. So <laughs> that's where we kind of started to campaign even harder um, and, you know, held discussions with investors and people behind the scenes. Um, and we eventually were able to garner the support of National Congress of American Indians. Uh, we were doing media um, interviews to kind of highlight this issue. And it was really providing an opportunity to even educate on the relationships between Britain and in the indigenous peoples or indigenous populations in North America. Um, but at the same time, there was this kind of underbelly where a lot of people really did believe they were doing this to, to, to honor us. Um, and it kind of highlighted that, I guess, colonial predatory mentality in terms of um, them deciding what was honorable to us. Um, so we continued to campaign really hard. And um, yeah, leading up short to, I guess, a long story short, where we are now, where we have successfully um, gotten to gotten an agreement to rebrand um, and the whole time we were kind of advocating for them to really look at their own ancestry you know that they had actually this rich history um, of Celtic chiefs who were um, a part of their ancestry their genetic makeup that they could actually be celebrating and using as an opportunity to highlight in schools to educate the people of Devon um, and Exeter 
around their own ancestry without having to co-opt uh, a tribe or uh, a people who had no connection to Exeter Chiefs Rugby Club. And so, yeah, long story short, we've got a successful rebrand, um, a change in logo and a celebration of their own history and ancestry. And Rhonda, Rhonda Lovaldo, you follow a lot of the movements here for Change the Name, Dropping Logos, and there's still a lot of teams here in the United States that are keeping not only names, but images um, and keeping the branding and the same similar story. So what does it mean for, you know, another country, a team in another country to take that step and drop the logo? I think it's wonderful and I commend you guys for really pushing hard on this. When I saw the announcement, I was like so happy for you all. Um, yeah. And the fact that other countries are realizing that, you know, that we need to step it up here, you know, in Kansas City, you know, we, we are going to be out there at the game this Sunday, uh, trying to, again, raise awareness of how offensive their native imagery, the tomahawk chop is. Uh, to Native people and the fact that this game is broadcast all over the world, perpetuating these stereotypes of Native people is um, just horrible. And I, I hope more people realize that, you know, there is a group of Native people in Kansas City that is advocating against that and that we will be out there um, making sure our voices are heard. And listening to some of the stuff that was going on in England, how does that correlate with here in the United States, Rhonda? Again, it's the whole uh, stereotypical uh, imagery that is being used, and unfortunately, the chop as well. And, you know, that's all people understand of Native people. Unfortunately, there are 500 plus different tribes, tribal nations here in the United States. We are all not monolithic. Uh, we're all different. And the fact that that's gone all over the world and that's how people um, understand Native people is just wrong. And can you expand on that there in England and I'm sure other countries, how did that get there with the imagery and the tomahawk chop and um, those sorts of things? Are they following what they see on American television, American sports teams? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah with- Go ahead. Of course, yeah, with, with um, media. Uh, mass communication with film, um, those old John Wayne movies, you know, you see the teepees in, in um, Navajo land and it's like, that's not, that's not how it is. And um, unfortunately, those stereotypes have crossed over into different countries and that's what they, how they see us as. Yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, just echo that. Absolutely, it's it's media portrayals, you know, um, this kind of relative invisibility, you know, in terms of, um, I guess even here in, in in England, I think because of proximity, you know, there there's almost this kind of belief that um, because we we may, we don't exist is basically a lot of people have never come across a Native American and so um, it, it was almost kind of shocking to them that they would be held accountable you know why would a Native American um, people in America or North America be upset by this you know almost as if the waters that connected uh, separated us somehow did not keep them accountable for their actions and so I see this even throughout Europe that that because there isn't an understanding, they don't 
have a real life contemporary context, they kind of basically base all of, all of their understanding, their education of native peoples on what they see on TV or the cartoons that they watched growing up. And so it becomes this really kind of romanticized, fetishized image, um, you know, this kind of noble savage versus the ignoble savage, you know, and it just gets really kind of deep into, you know, the, the deeper issues around that predatory mentality. And are there other sports teams um, that have Native American themed names, logos? In, in, in um, yeah, uh, yeah, there is um, actually more recently we've come across, a, 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 I think they're an ice hockey team who at one time the, the women's team was known as the derogatory slaw, uh, slur of, of squaw. Um, and and they, I think they've now changed that, but they still have their logo on the men's team called uh, the Warriors, I think. They're based out of Newcastle. Um, and it's, it's kind of something that we're looking into um, behind the scenes. Um, but generally, uh, what we're seeing mainly over here is the kind of, um, you know, the, the stereotypical imagery um, of, of natives wearing a headdress, um, you know, wearing buckskin um, and living in teepees and they kind of homogenize us into this one stereotype of a Plains Indian or Plains Native. And so it's, it's not so much, you know, that it's prevalent in the sports teams, but as you get further out into Europe, you're seeing more and more of that, you know, in terms of their sports. There was another um, one that uh, Tony Perry actually I think it was based in Iceland somewhere, or I could be wrong with that. So don't quote me on it. But yeah, there are a, a number of teams throughout Europe that we're kind of looking at behind the scenes. And here in the US, there's a lot of pushback and that same sort of we're doing this in honor of Native people. Is that was there a lot of pushback for the change with this logo for the rugby team? Yeah, absolutely. I think every single one of us was really kind of taken aback by the amount of racism that came out, um, the amount of abuse that we received on Twitter and social media, um, and really just the kind of cognitive dissonance that was happening in terms of, you know, this new information we're presenting, but they're, they were holding so tightly to these, you know, rigidly held beliefs of us kind of putting us in this one dimensional box. Um, and I think that was kind of a surprise for all of us that this was actually a willful choice because once we'd done all the education work and provided all of the resources, there were still a lot of people who were holding quite rigidly to these um, stereotypes, you know, even linking it back to the psychological research and how this is impacting our youth um, and our communities. Um, yeah, I think that was one of the things that actually really surprised us. And I think at, uh, at the same time, though, despite that adversity, we were all kind of in it for the long haul. Um, and we were in it to, you know, this basically cemented in our minds how much this needed to change and it needs to change quickly. And Rhonda, can you add to that the racism, the pushback that changed the name movements? you know, even just individuals, people who are out there, um, it's not just online, it's in person at these games. Yeah, definitely um, <laughs> a lot of um, things that are said to us, uh, you know, 
people calling us, uh, you know, at, at our work, you know, I'm not hard to find. Um, you know, I don't have a fake name on Twitter and, and people can find me at my actual physical job and as well as the Kansas City Indian Center. You won't believe some of the messages people leave on their answering machine. It is completely disrespectful and how, um, how rude they are to, you know, our brothers and sisters that, you know, are just trying to take care of one another. And, um, you know, Kansas City Center, Indian Center, they, they help us. They partnered with our group, the Not In Our Honor group, and um, putting up billboards all over uh, the city. And people see that. And so they're attacking them as well. And it's, it's, just, it's just terrible. So what is next for, I guess, the change the name movement there, um, not only where you're at, but across Europe? Well, next steps, I think, are probably at the moment to take a, a, a rest um, because this has just been ongoing, um, you know, an onslaught of abuse of, you know, pushing back and, and fighting for the elimination of the branding imagery and logo and it even goes on beyond that like the, the the park sandy park actually has bars that were called the wigwam bar or the apache bar you know and when we think about how damaging that was you know even for me you know i i grew up um, on the Omaha Indian Reservation and, you know, kind of making those connections to a lot of the issues that we face as Natives because of these stereotypes, you know, that, that this, this work is hard work, you know, it's not easy. And you can really, you know, make yourself vulnerable to some of that abuse, you know, that you, you experience and that pushback. So next steps are going to be self-care, rest, take a bit of a break, celebrate um, the, the change that's happened. Um, but yeah, looking to kind of implement, um, you know, other campaigns that might be coming up throughout Europe, along with um, changing and altering the language in the, um, you know, the online racism bill that is over here. It, there's not a provision for Native Americans, I think, because we do represent such a small minority. Um, and so kind of looking even at, um, you know, changes in legislation. All right, I want to move away from the sports just for a little bit. Uh, we all know just how hard the COVID-19 pandemic has been, especially for, for young people. The isolation, the lack of social activities has been a real burden on mental, spiritual well-being of a lot of folks and the group uh, Native Unity is holding a mid-year conference, which will, for many people, be the first time for an in-person gathering in quite a long time. And this, again, designed to really help young people with their mental, spiritual progress. And uh, it is chock full of all kinds of activities uh, and as well, special guests. Again, this is geared towards Native youth. And some of those guests include Kwana. Uh, Chasing Horse, who is a Native American model and someone we talked to here a couple months ago. She is everywhere these days, uh, including Fashion Week, and uh, but she also is a huge activist around environmental issues. She'll be making an appearance there at the Unity Gathering. Also, some actors from the hit show Res Dogs, uh, Reservation Dogs, and so a lot of youth from all around the region, including as far as Alaska, 
excited to head to uh, Arizona here in a couple weeks, and so we wanted to find out a little bit more about what it's all about. And so we turn once again to Antonia Gonzalez for that. This is part of a Facebook Live we did on Friday. And again, if you're interested in more information, check the, the episode description. But the Unity event, the mid-year conference coming up in a couple weeks in Arizona. And uh, we hope that if this sparks an interest, that you will find a way to get there. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, here's a little bit more about the event. Hello, I'm Antonia Gonzalez, and I'm here with some guests to talk about the upcoming Unity Mid-Year Conference taking place in Phoenix this month. And Jared and uh, Shanoa, welcome to New Mexico PBS. Uh, Shanoa, why don't you go ahead and start us off and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself. Um, okay, so my name is Shinoa, and currently I'm a fourth year undergrad um, at UNM, the University of New Mexico, and I'm double majoring in population health and Native American studies. Um, I'm Navajo in Santa Clara Pueblo, and I come from a community called Nashchiri on the Navajo Reservation. And um, I think what I also wanted to highlight here, not only am I affiliated with Unity, but I'm also uh, one of the co-presidents of the Kiba Club this year, which is the oldest and largest Native student org um, in the country. Thanks for that. And Jared, same thing. Please introduce yourself. And um, what is your position at Unity? Uh, thank you for having Unity and myself, Antonia. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Jared. Ivan's Massey. I'm an enrolled member of the White Mountain Apache Tribe of Northeastern Arizona. I'm also part Navajo and traditionally adopted into the Flint Knife clan of the Hidatsa people. And so my position at Unity is uh, the program support assistant as well as a social media specialist. And so a lot of the content that's put, in, put out, um, that's kind of um, what I'm assisting with. And so we're excited for our mid-year conference that will be taking place in just two weeks. And so once again, thank you for having us. And uh, Jared, Unity has been serving American Indian and Alaska Native youth since the 70s. Tell us a little bit about the organization. Yeah, Unity is actually the first largest and oldest Native youth serving organization in the United States. Um, we were founded by a man by the name of J.R. Cook in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. So that's kind of where, or that's where the birthplace of the organization um, is. But when um, J.R. retired, um, he handed it over to Mary Kim Titla of the San Carlos Apache tribe. And so the headquarters moved from Oklahoma City to um, sunny Mesa, Arizona. And so we have since grown over the years. We have over 400 uh, Unity affiliated youth councils in 37 states. And so again, highlighting on the largest um, organization that works with native youth in the country. And so Unity's long standing history of being present in Indian country is kind of what is our staple. Um, and so the organization um, has two major um, signature events every year, which is the mid-year conference, which we're going to talk about, and then the national conference. And just real quickly, um, the national conference is the largest gathering of Native American youth anywhere in um, the United States and Canada. And so that's something that we um, pride ourselves in and we work hard to you know, bring hope and um, um, resources to youth across the United States. And Shnoa, how did you get involved in Unity? Um, well, I was actually introduced to Unity by one of my great friends, um, Kira Toya, 
who was a former uh, female co-president and she kind of explained to me a little bit about unity but then she really like kind of dragged me along and um, ever since I have loved like every every part of it. And what is important about this organization to you personally? Um, I think it's about the youth like always encouraging and inspiring like the next generation um even though like I guess I'm a young person myself like um seeing like even younger people um kind of like realize that they can be great and they can make a change and they do have like the capacity to do so I think is really important to me and a lot of the you know um, work includes looking at leadership mentorship and just you know being around peers Shanoa, why is the these types of things why are they important um because i think that youth have a lot to offer but they just don't know how to like really put that out or they don't know how to like navigate these spaces that were first of all, not built for students of color or like youth of color, but um, they're also built for like adults and adults recognizing other adults as leaders, but like for youth to see themselves like in those roles and even to like take on a position of leadership um, is important to like help them like realize their full potential. And Jared, anything to add to that, especially um, for, you know, people of color, uh, not only American Indians in the lower 48, but um, also Alaska Natives come from Alaska and they come down to these conferences. You know, that's, as you know, I touched on a lot of um, important things there. And I agree with her in that, you know, when I first went to Unity, I first actually started as um, a youth myself. Um, and then I was inspired to bring the youth council format back to my reservation because at that time my tribe specifically did not have a affiliated youth council with the organization and so um my my friends and i got together and we created constitution and bylaws for our youth council and then the tribe recognized and we had to create a resolution that we took to the tribe and they recognized us as the official youth council of the white mountain apache tribe and so that's kind of the same process that a lot of these youth um go through when they're um, presenting these types of um, outlets to their tribes. And um, Unity, again, is not just for tribes specifically. Um, we have affiliated youth councils who are from universities, who are from urban settings, and um, actually a lot of school districts have youth councils that are affiliated with the organization. And I think that um, it's, it's amazing when you experience the conference in itself and talk touching on that that topic of you know people of color and the different shades of people um you know unity was actually the first place that i had been where i was exposed and introduced to um natives of other colors um because you know growing up in rural arizona i didn't know that natives were light skin that we were dark skin that we had different hair textures and so when i went to unity there was my first time actually seeing natives from the east coast and natives from canada and natives um, that did not look like me. So it was a learning experience altogether. And I think that's a learning experience that a lot of the youth um, have when they come to Unity, that it's their very first time coming in contact with another native that's um, like them, but they have a different skin color. And so um, we believe that, you know, um, 
our differences is our strengths. And so that's one of the things I believe I, I took away from the organization when I was still a youth um, not working for the organization. And so um, it's it's really a, a, a family is kind of what we call it. Um, the unity family is kind of what the staple of, of what we call each other many times um, after we leave the, the conferences. And this event will be held in person. There's been um, a lot of hardship for tribes across the country due to COVID-19. And a lot of these different gatherings have been canceled. And the pandemic has really had an impact on young people as well. Um, just, you know, the isolation and stuff moving online, uh, even school. Uh, Shanoa, how has the pandemic impacted you and some of the peers? Um, what have you heard? Um, I think first and foremost, it has taken a really large toll, I think, on mental health and recognizing that that is um, just as important as like your physical health, your spiritual health, um, but being isolated, um, even from like our own communities. So at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I wasn't able to go home. I was stuck in the city. Um, and I think that I, I recognize that like going home and like seeing your relatives and all this stuff, I really took for granted. Um, and I think a lot of my peers did as well. And so like, even though we're not completely out of the pandemic, I think that there's like this stronger need to be like connected more to our culture to be connected more to our relatives and our family members. And, um, I think that Unity does a really good job of like bringing us all back together and like recognizing that um, that we are all like going through it. And Jared, your thoughts on impacts of the pandemic on not only tribal communities, but especially young people from, you know, grade school all the way through college. You know, uh, like Shanoa said, we really combated um, and we highlighted the importance of mental health at the beginning of the, the pandemic, um, the organization did. And so early on, we created initiatives, campaigns on social media to encourage and give youth a space to express themselves, but also to connect with other youth across the country. And so again, um, I think the organization prides itself in being the first to do many great things. And so we were one of the first organizations to create um, campaigns to combat in mental health and to combat you know, the, the, the isolation youth were facing. And we started the, um, it was, it's called the um, We Have Hope um, campaign. And then it then transitioned into the We Are Hope. And what that was, was just um, encouraging graphics and encouraging youth things that they could do as they're isolated and ways that they could, you know, take care of themselves mentally and spiritually. Um, and so I'm thankful that, you know, our executive director was able to give me that free will to do that. And then the second um, way that we connected youth while they were home virtually was um, through this campaign called the Native Youth Sing Series. And the Native Youth Sing Series was essentially um, connecting youth from all across the United States as well as Canada to share traditional songs. And so our organization for the month of November and December, we highlighted um, Native youth that sing and um, pray and speak in their native languages. And we had um, Instagram Live and Facebook Live videos going on, similar to the quarantine dance specials that was going on on Facebook, except this one was catered toward um, Native youth. 
and so what stemmed from that was um, a lot of youth learned to you know connect each connect with one another they followed each other in social media but it also created a dialogue for youth and how they choose and are how they're choosing to you know combat um, COVID-19 in their communities and so um, that initiative um, brought together you know youth from the east coast to the west coast Canada and we highlighted singers from the Apache tribes from the the Otham groups from the Pueblo tribes from the Hopi all the way up into the Six Nations in Canada as well as the Lumbees in North Carolina and down on to the Choctaw so we kind of made a, a whole um I guess, series of, of, of singing that went on um, three times a week. And so all those videos can actually be found on our social media outlets, on our Instagram page, as well as our Facebook page. And so the organization itself, that's one of the ways that we were trying to, you know, give youth a space that they can connect back to their traditional songs and dances. Um, however, I think it's important that, you know, um, that we mentioned, you know, that, you know, there were private messages that would be sent to the social media outlets of the organization of these youth um, talking about the hardships that they were facing while being in isolation. And so luckily, um, again, my boss um, had us take, you know, um, assist training and being um, uh, fully um, trained in safe talk as, as a staff. So um, that allowed us to all like, you know, um, um, talk to these youth on a one-on-one -on -one personal level that, again, the main, um, I guess, network of unity does not know about that we were doing on the back end. And that's something that, you know, we are finally, you know, sharing with, with people that the, the messages that came in on the back end of how we were able to, you know, speak to these kids um, late night <laughs> hours. Um, so that's kind of one of the ways that we were able to, you know, stick to unity's mission of, of bringing hope and inspiring lives and um, focusing on the spiritual, mental, and social well-being of Native youth. And so now I bet a lot of people across the country are excited and gearing up for the conference. Uh, Shanoa, what are you looking forward to? Um, I think I'm most looking forward to hearing from Kwana um, Chasing Horse. She is um, land, water, um, sacred sites protector. Um, and I think I'm most excited to hear about um, some of the work that she's been doing or the things that she's looking forward to. Um, just because here in New Mexico, um, there are a lot of like indigenous activist groups um, who are fighting like for, to protect like the greater Chaco area. Um, and so like hearing like some of the stories that she has or like um, some of the actions that she's been a part of could really like, I think, help some of our organizations here. And uh, Kwana is among several guest speakers who will be um, either virtual or in person. Is that right, Jared? Who are some of the other celebrities coming? There's a number of them. Is that right? Yes, we really went into the mid-year conference just jam-packed, ready to inspire these youth because, again, we're bringing them back together again for the first time. So we actually um, were able to come from DeFerro Wunatai, who is from the Reservation Dogs cast. He'll be there in person. We have Little Mike and Funnybone, who are also from the Reservation Dogs cast, who will be there in person. Um, we also have um, Brooke Simpson, who is just fresh off of... Um, America's Got Talent. And so she'll be coming to do um, some singing for us in person. And then we'll have a Native youth band that will be, um, that was just an added addition um, yesterday who will be performing at the um, Unity kickoff pool party. And that's the other part that we haven't advertised yet is that 
we will be having a welcome reception, which is going to be a kickoff pool party, which will feature this Native Youth Band, um, who are all Unity alumni, and so we're very excited for that, um, and they'll be a part of the lineup um, for this conference. And besides the celebrity guest appearances, what else is on the agenda? There's different sessions, there's different activities, and of course, just um, getting together, like you said, because it's been a long pandemic. Yeah, thank you for that. I, I left out one of the major events that we'll be having in addition to um, our mid-year conference. Um, we'll actually be having a Unity Round Dance. And so for those of you that are watching, um, those of you from the, the the Northern Plains region and into Canada, Round Dance is very big in that geographical region. And so we're very excited to once again, bring this style of dancing and this custom down to the Southwest. And so we're calling it Round Dancing in the Desert. And so we're excited to be bringing in a, a traditional stick man from Canada. We have invited singers from um, across the United States who are all coming in to share um, this style of of round dance singing, which is a, a, a social type of dance. And so this is the third year that we're going to be having the traditional round dance in Arizona. And so it was a major success out of the previous years that we had it. And so um, this year we're gonna be actually having a singing contest, um, a hand drum contest, as well as a sidestep special honoring the Little Shell Powwow Princess um, from North Dakota. And so, um, it's going to be an awesome evening. And so if you're coming, uh, we encourage you to wear your, you know, your, your favorite ribbon skirt. And then we encourage you to wear your favorite applique shirt. And it's going to be a good time. And that will take place on a Saturday, which is open to the public. And Shanoa, if there are Native youth out there and, you know, they're maybe they're a little uncomfortable or uneasy getting involved in either their youth council or their community or joining school groups or even just, you know, a, a larger group like Unity, what would you share? What kind of advice would you give? Um, I would say just believe in yourself. You know, you have to be uncomfortable. Um, I mean, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable sometimes. And honestly, those are like the moments that open up new opportunities to you, that open up new doors to you. Um, personally, I, like I said, was kind of just dragged along to my first Unity conference, um, but I'm glad I did. And if I had said no, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, and so I think just taking healthy risks, um, meeting new people, it's like, it's so exciting, like once you start to put yourself out there. And you've been able to work with some um, young people in this region, the Southwest region. Tell us a little bit about that work. Um, yeah, so most of the work that I've been doing right now is just focusing the Albuquerque area um, and working with some local like nonprofits here. Um, but the biggest thing I think that I've done so far um, is probably just like restarting the Akiva Club here at UNM, um, just because in the past like couple of years, we haven't really been active um, and not a lot of members um, were attending. But this year, um, alongside my partner in crime, Kiera, um, we have successfully, I think like, revived our um, Native community here at UNM um, and it's just so awesome to see that like there are like people that are younger than me who are like you know like freshmen in college even in high school like wanting to be 
um, in these leadership positions and they want to make a difference and they want to make a change. And it's just so awesome for like me to like kind of guide them and like provide that opportunity for them. And Jared, anything to add to some advice or encouragement about Native youth getting involved, either it's locally, statewide, nationally? You know, it, um, again, that's a, it's a good question. And I feel like I've, I've been asked that many times and I feel like my answer changes every time, depending on, um, you know, the setting of the youth. And so, but the message is always the same that, you know, take a healthy risk. And that's one thing that we always stress that unity is we'll, we'll, force youth into positions where they feel uncomfortable, but there's growth in being uncomfortable. Um, and that's kind of why, why, why we bring youth to unity. And so unity is not just for, you know, the, the youth that are on that straight path. Uh, many times um, youth that attend unity, they're hearing about education for the first time. They're hearing about the possibility of, of per- pursuing education for the first time and you know that's what's unique about unity is that you have these youth who are from you know the deep res um coming then you have youth from the urban setting that are coming and when they come together you know it's it's a beautiful thing to see them interact with one another and so being one of those deep res youth you know that's what inspired me and that's why I think unity will always be um you know um will always have a, a special place in my heart and so um you know uh, my, I guess my final advice to any youth coming is, you know, just don't be afraid to ask. You know, this is one thing that Mary Kim's um, executive director stresses. If you don't have the means to come, you know, we will find a way and help you and give you resources in, in taking that healthy risk. You just have to ask. Um, and that's something that I've learned is that, you know, we're an organization that really sh- sticks to that mission. And I think because of our staff, um, half of us being under the age of 25 is, is a good example of that. Um, and it's really directed by youth. And so that's one of the things that I believe um, sets us apart uh, essentially. And so for anyone that's coming, you know, um, feel free to um, come and we look forward to seeing you guys all in two weeks. And I've been lucky enough to be able to go and attend and cover some of these conferences. And I know how exciting they are. Um, I was able to cover the one that was in Washington, D.C., and uh, Michelle Obama was able to come and speak to the young people. So I know there are thousands and thousands of young Native people from all across the country and a lot of energy and a lot of great speakers, but also some really tough sessions going on that, you know, young people are getting involved and making changes in their communities. And I want to thank both of you uh, for joining us today. And you've been talking about Unity Conference and where can people find out information about the mid-year and even if they're interested in joining. So you can actually go to any of our social media outlets, which is Unity Inc. 7.6, but also on our website at www.unityinc.org. We have all the documentation that youth will need if they're interested in starting a youth council and the steps in order to um, start a youth council or if they want to reach out to any of the staff. All of our information is there. And so um, we have articles and resources there pertaining from scholarships as well as resources for COVID-19 and mental health tips. So we have all that on our website. And Shanoa, uh, where can people find out about uh, Kiva Club there at UNM if they're interested? Um, Yeah, definitely through social media. Um, We have a Facebook page, UNM Kiva Club, um, and also our Instagram, um, pretty active. We have a couple of events coming up uh, this semester that we're really looking forward to. 
Um, so we hope to see some of you there. Um, well, thank you both for joining us here today on New Mexico in Focus and happy Unity Mid-Year Conference to you both. Thank you. Thanks. All right, that's all for this special episode of the New Mexico in Focus podcast. I want to remind you again, Tuesday, a big day for us here at New Mexico PBS as we launch a brand new digital series dedicated to celebrating indigenous innovation, technology, and science. Again, it's called Indigenous, and the host is Lee Francis, self-proclaimed Indigenerd, the man behind the Indigenous Comic Con, Red Planet Comics. So great to work with Lee. Pleased to be a part of the team that made this all possible, including Anthony Rodriguez. He created the idea. Lee also wrote all of the episodes, and Benjamin Codiaza and Tony Gonzalez, all contributing consultants on making this thing and bringing it to you. Episode one is all about blue corn mush and why it is so special. And we are going to premiere that Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Here's how you do it. Go to the Mexico PBS YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, but also look for the uh, little snippet trailer on that premiere and say you're going and be there at your computer or with your phone next Tuesday at 6 p.m. to see episode one. And again, encourage you to subscribe because then you'll be ready for all the future episodes, which will release every other Tuesday. So super excited to bring you Indigenous. We hope you will join us and let us know what you think. We're already looking for topics for a hopeful season two. So share that with us as well. Again, the New Mexico PBS YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow with our regular episode. Lots of great stuff in store for you there. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy.